0: Yeah. 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 Welcome to the Into the Wilderness Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Pace. I am recording this intro on the twentieth of january, twenty twenty one. Uh this podcast is gonna be with Bill Roden who is the chief marketing officer of Modern Huntsman, a man of many talents. We recorded this uh, a week or two back uh, when we were in Montana. It's an incredibly varied show. We talk a lot about the outdoors industry in terms of uh, marketing and companies and brand interaction with the public, be that within the outdoors space or like outside that community and how they represent themselves to the greater world as well as the people who participate in those activities. Uh, we dive into this sort of factionalization of the outdoor space. Uh, He talks at great length about his time in big cities, working working in marketing and this desire to be in the great outdoors and how he balanced that. And the the show ends uh, with this fascinating conversation about great writers and what Bill has taken from great writers into his his own work. Uh, there's some really interesting insights in there. And if you're somebody who writes at all, or is just intrigued about the process, I think you'll be able to take something from it. So, but before we get into the show, uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, all of the Patreon supporters, every single one of you. If you would like to support this show, and You really do help make these shows possible, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Byron Pace and you can have a look at the tiers there and uh, support the show. I also have a new way that you can support the show if you just want to have a one-off payment rather than something that's monthly like on Patreon is just head over to byronpace.com, click podcast and there's a donate button. Just use PayPal or a credit card and uh, you can just make a a one-off payment and leave a note Uh, Every dollar makes, or pound, or whatever currency from whatever part of the world you're from, makes a massive difference in making these shows possible. Uh, Top tier patrons for this month include Richard Stevens, Richard McNeil, Ronnie Speakman of RDContracting.co.uk Tom McRath, James Benjamin, Normandale, James Marchington, the guys at South Ayrshire Stalking, Josh Starling, Thomas Cameron, Mark Zabrowski, and the team at Galax Clothing. Uh, Of course, these podcasts are brought to you by Modern Huntsman. Uh, They have been our partner on the show for for a long time now, and I am the conservation editor for that publication. Volume 6 is out, and you can read all about Modern Huntsman, including... uh, You can go and order uh, all of the volumes... On ModernHuntsman.com, there's some really exciting stuff coming out with Modern Huntsman uh, in the next couple of weeks, actually. So I would encourage you, if you like this podcast, if you like the content that Modern Huntsman put out... Uh, head over to their website and stick your email address in their subscription um, box so that you're a a newsletter subscriber, because that's how you're going to hear about all these new things first. And also, obviously, go over to their Instagram. Their Instagram's amazing, and that's just Modern Huntsman. Um, With all of that said, I think that is us. We're going to dive straight into the show with Bill Roden. Bill? Bill? Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks it's, for having me on. It's great to have another podcaster on the show. Right. So, well, you're telling I mean... New you, podcaster. New-ish. New-ish. Well, when did you start your podcast? Started
1: about a year, well, technically two years ago, but almost on the regular for about a year. Okay. And it's called? Uh, the Tailgate Podcast. It's uh, a podcast... Uh, specifically for the hunting, uh, somewhat the outdoor industry, but really focuses more on the marketing side of things.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and you did, did that with somebody?
1: I did that with uh, Andy Anderson, photographer, okay. friend of mine. Yep. And what hunting was what and
0: the book? reason for starting that? Was uh something you
1: felt like wasn't being talked about? Uh, yes. Yes. Yes to that. Uh, really, it was more of a formal continuation of a lot of the conversations that Andy and I would have after a hunt, we'd sit on the tailgate, kind of recap the hunt. Since we're both in the world of marketing, Andy's a photographer by trade. I'm a copywriter, creative director, marketing director uh, by background. So and just a few
0: things. In just your a few title. things. <laughs> right, right.
1: Uh, I'm old. But no, we've, uh, but, but we would spend a lot of time, uh, you know, having worked, you know, for a lot of, you know, big global brands, consumer packaged goods brands, automotive brands. We used to always have conversations about the kind of work we liked in the hunting industry, the kind of work we didn't like uh, some things that we were surprised hunting and angling brands weren't doing that a lot of other brands were doing uh, even in the outdoor space. And we would have conversations with other people and they used to kind of prod us to say, you should start a podcast about that because you are obviously very opinionated about it. Uh, You have a lot of strong feelings about it. And you know, there are a lot of industry marketing you know trades in in the advertising world, but there really isn't something like that in the hunting and angling space. So um, we we put it together. We didn't really think it was going to be anything formal, uh, but it was uh, really flattering. Uh, and I'm humbled to say this that we you know had a lot of handraisers that reached out because they wanted to talk about marketing. We had a lot of folks who wanted to learn more about what other brands were doing, not just from what they were seeing that these brands were putting out into the world, but how are they structuring their companies? You know, what, you know, how did they build marketing plans? Did they build marketing plans? Uh, you know, were they, you know, diving into the performance marketing side of things? And so, you know, as sophisticated as some hunting brands are, and I don't think hunting brands get enough credit for uh, the level of talent that they have. But uh, either brands are really up to speed on all the tools and tips and tricks and things like that that are available to hunting brands, uh, and, and I should say brands in general out there. Um, you know, so I, I guess where I'm going with that is that, I, oh boy, and if I'm choosing my words, sound like I'm choosing my words carefully. I am. I think some some brands who've brought folks from other industries into, the, in, into their world brought a lot of sophistication on the marketing side, because the the world of marketing is just from a, um, you know, platform standpoint, tool standpoint, I apologize for the buzzword so early in the day here. But they brought a lot of that in, and they really saw, you know, a real, you know, up to the right kind of graph in terms of, you know, audience engagement and growth and the ability to target new growth audiences and things like that. So either brands were really doing it well, or they weren't doing it at all. So, and I would say even in the past couple of years, I've even seen a, a significant shift and a lot of brands really getting up to speed on just, you know, putting, you know, uh, into practice what, you know, what a lot of this the the general, you know, brand world is doing. So. But it's, it's, you know, it's it's really been really exciting to see just how a lot of hunting and angling brands have really matured, how they've, and, and as a result, have really been able to punch out of the general hunting and angling space into this, the general sort of, you know, culture space as well as a result of, you know, better reach and better frequency and, and you know, all the side effects of, of what good marketing can do
0: for you as a brand. Please tell me that you recorded it on the tailgate of a truck. You no, know,
1: we actually, that's what we, that was our, our, well, our that goal. Idea?
0: Because you would come back from a hunt and you'd sit on the tailgate oh, absolutely. and talk well, shit well, and drink coffee well, absolutely. and you know, whiskey that, or whatever. You
1: know, that was the goal, but um, it was hard to, well, wind was always a factor. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Really crappy podcast equipment was yep, a factor. Yep, yep. Um, but, uh, but you know, we ended up really, uh, we actually would travel to the brands where it was really great to just immerse ourselves in, in the company, the company headquarters, the people, uh, and then kind of spend the day with a brand and then record the podcast afterwards. So we'd be able to really speak to what we saw. So
0: you had like a foundation of knowledge to be able Absolutely. to ask this question. How, how open were people from different brands in terms of their their thinking and strategy and ethos and why they were where they are at yeah. you know, that current time and, and the journey that they would taken and what their vision for the future was? Were, were did you Or, or did it... Was there a big spectrum of that? I imagine there are a lot of cars that are being held pretty close to the chest when it comes to that because there's a lot of um, companies that are in competition with one another. That's a great question. Uh,
1: Surprisingly open, Uh, we actually anticipated a lot of brands... Uh, not wanting to jump on because you know it. You know, first and foremost, we didn't think anyone was, was going to listen to it. We thought you know our or our maybe our our spouses would listen to it, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 log on a lot with different different usernames to make us feel better. But uh, we, again, I, I say this humbly here. Um, you know, it was it was really great, and we had not only just you know. Marketing level folks, but we've had chairmen of the companies and the boards on. We've had CEOs on. So it's been a good spectrum of various levels of each company on. But, you know, they were very excited to, you know, and again, they were, they were excited for us. They were excited, uh, you know, to, to come on and share their stories. Um, and I would say, there's a lot I wish I could have put in because, you know, we always allow every podcast guest to listen to it first before we push it out. That's you know, very live, generous of you. Which, I never which, do that. Which, you know, I've been on a couple of podcasts where, you know, I'm literally in the truck on the way, way home. I'm like, Oh my God, I just ended my career. I can't believe I just said that. But, but, um, but you know, what we cut out, what, what hasn't been in that I wish we could put in was when we started to get into the secret sauce kind of thing. We started to get into, uh, you know, how they built their plans. And I think, you know, and justifiably you know, while it was really great conversation and it's a really you know relevant uh, material, you know I think a lot of people were really nervous that you know because you know one thing I've seen in this industry there are a lot of fast followers, um, you know I, I've actually seen some folks you know not necessarily even here to NDAs so which which I'm a big stickler not about, really. but um, but you know regardless um, you know I am really really proud of the conversations that we had and really the the spirit of our podcast was really to try to help brands and this isn't coming from a sense of self-importance or or worthiness but but really help brands develop more creative cultures within their brands and to really get to f- you know fresh ideas and 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 I don't say this is any indictment but a lot of times, this industry can be one-dimensional. People go to the well, you know, for the same kind of ideas, the type of, of content they put out there. And we were really there's trying to
0: copycatting,
1: right? And we we're trying we we're trying to goose the industry a little bit, you know. And and you know, again, not from this 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 ivory tower standpoint by any means, but but there's you know, again, it goes back to the conversations we'd have where we'd say, there, you know, the outdoor industry, the outdoors in general, is so rightful full of amazing characters, just amazing experiences that you know are right for really great content ideas, story ideas. And why weren't brands talking about this? You know, they were focusing more on, you know, kind of post-mortem hunts or, you know, hunt recap type stuff, or, you know, they turned hunting itself into a spectator sport. Uh, you know, they would, you know, it was always, you know, the, the, the animal they were, they were pursuing, the meth, method of take... Um, and it was, it was, there was it, a very
0: sort of generic formula for oh, many, absolutely. many years. And
1: they're all, you know, in, in hunting, the, the hunting media, uh, I should say, you know, as it stands now is, is relatively young, but there are some of things that were instantly played out there, you know, a, a lot of new tropes just, you know, were established quickly. And so again, another reason for this podcast was that, you know, because I, you know, I had been consulting with a lot of hunting and angling brands, outdoor brands in general, and, you know, my argument always was: you know, you're you're preaching to the choir. Um, you're, you know, you're 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 coming across like a fast follower, but you're really just adding to this noise out there. And as a result, you know, brands really weren't differentiating themselves. Uh, they really weren't talking about their first and onlys that really could have, you know, helped them truly differentiate themselves. So this is really just trying to highlight some of the things that are keeping brands up at night. Uh, sharing the things that have worked for them and haven't worked for them. And really the, the goal was to really kind of an all boats rise kind of approach where let, you know, let's, let's talk about creativity in this space, uh, the lack thereof in certain corners, the opportunities in other corners. And uh, I'd like to, you know, the the feedback has been really great. Uh, Really, really uh, again, humbled by that as well. And uh, you know, it was like, like, like any industry and everybody, you know, culturally as well, you know, COVID was a real hit for us because it, 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 the better podcasts we had were in person, uh, where again we could spend they're time. always
0: better when you're in person. Yeah.
1: And and yeah. and also just because you really, you know, even walking around a, a company, I would say this conversation I had with this product line manager
0: mm-hmm. gives you something that would be back. one of
1: the best brand campaigns ever, just in terms of their <laughs> point of view. And, yeah. and uh so so, you know, it, it, it but it's a lot of fun and and you know I'm one of those weirdos that really loves what he does each and every day and I get well, out of bed. That's the best with, way to
0: be I was, with
1: both feet <laughs> on the floor at the same time because I, I'm really excited about the potential, uh, the the untapped potential uh, for this industry specifically, really excited. Just that there's such a a, a lot of change going on in the industry right now. Uh, you know, and obviously we, can, oh, I'm sure we'll get to this. The, the perception and culture it's much different now than it even it was when, you know, I was really you know getting deeper into hunting and angling when I left the world of, you know, uh, adventure sports, you know, I was a, a you know, uh, a competitive bike racer, 24 hour mountain bike racer, climber, and I was kind of more focused in the general outdoor, but when I started really diving more on the regular and, and I should say, even more self-identifying as a hunter and angler than other things, you know, I've seen such change culturally yeah. in terms of how brands are perceived, in terms of how hunting media is perceived. It's so. really
0: important. That, and I, wanna, I, d- I definitely want to dive into that. I think maybe uh, before we go down that very deep rabbit hole, <laughs> you are now part of the Modern Huntsman team. Yeah. So you're, like, you've been talking about your podcast and a little bit about your, your, your background and where you've come from in, in the marketing world. Uh, but now Modern Huntsman are a partner of this podcast, Into the Wilderness, and have been for a long time. And I'm conservation editor for Modern Huntsman. And this is the first time we've had a chance to meet in person. What is your role within Modern Huntsman now? And what is your, how does your vision of, and this might take forever, how does your (laughs) vision of, of the future mesh with the sort of Modern Huntsman mission? Because we talk we talk about that a lot, you know, what is the – and we're going to – we'll dive into it. And we've dived into it in the past with Tyler. I need to get him back on the show again so we can kind of get a, a refresh, refresh about the volumes that have been out, out recently and that sort of transition from volume one to where we're on now and what has changed both within the publication right. and the team and also within the industry because we're now talking a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, your bill – as part of Modern Huntsman, what what do you do, Bill? Well, uh, so I'm the chief marketing
1: officer for Modern Huntsman, and my role, like a lot of us here, you know, it's it's pretty multifaceted. But you know, really, first and foremost, it's how can brands work with a hunting outdoor publication differently? You know, there's obviously. Identifying and building ad space.
0: There's chasing brands down for for ad dollars. You know, like. But, sorry to interrupt yeah, you yeah, here, yeah. but it's been a very. If I think about back home in the UK, yeah. and I think about brands and particularly print publications, yeah. which I've also been involved in for mm-hmm. more than a decade, there was a very uh, sort of fundamental way that they engaged. Right. It was take an A4 or you know a one page yep. spread like. And if you were if you had the big dollars, it was the back outside page of the publication, <laughs> right, probably right. syndicated for twelve months because you were doing one issue a year right. and uh that that was basically the game plan yeah that yeah. was basically the game plan and if you had the money, you're a big enough company, you do the exactly the same thing in every publication within your niche, yeah, and that way you were in front of everybody, yeah now, but I always felt like it was. Yeah, you know, after a period of time, maybe if you're just getting into into it, and suddenly you've got all these brands in your face, it's it's kind of you know it's colorful and it's this light and it's sexy. But after a month or two of seeing the same stuff in every publication you pick up, it's just noise. Like yeah. you just tune it
1: out. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, just like like TV spots, you know, on, you know, you're 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 interrupting, you know, people's normally scheduled programming, right, to 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 sell something, you know, at, at every opportune moment. Yeah. You know, for Modern Huntsman, and it's, it's something that we'll always adhere to, something that I, I've always respected even before my time at Modern Huntsman is that a lot of times, as you mentioned, brands live on top of the media, right? They, they kind of appear in certain places, but Modern Huntsman, we integrate brands into our world. So they live in our world. So what I mean by that is that uh, they, they partner with us on content and stories. They partner with us on everything from recipes um, you know, we don't run print ads per se in Modern Huntsman, but what we do is, and we don't just do product shills either. We don't do top 25 tree stands of, of 2020 and, you know, and, 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 and there are first and foremost, because there are publications that, that would do it just far better than us anyway. But, um, but we really like to tell the story of the brand of the people who, you know, who are part of the brand, uh, and talk about more of the why when they get up in the morning and they make the things they do, you know, w- we we just think that's that's really interesting to to our audience, um, and and also there's really no other publication at this time that really gets into that level. And because again, almost like my podcast, there's so many great stories about brands, not just about the things that are, that they're making and, and the innovations that they're doing. Um, so I, you know, that's one thing I really love about Modern Huntsman is that we really work with brands to help them tell their story. Um, outside of again, as I said, the things they make. Um, you know, another part of my remit is is looking at how can we evolve Modern Huntsman into more of a true media company. So how do you know I have a, a lot of background in Hollywood and in you know uh, television shows and things like that. So how can we start pushing out into that world where we're doing you know either entertainment, uh, we're doing um, you know conservation sort of documentaries, things like that that really. You know, because again, while we certainly put out, you know, we're biannual publication and, you know, and we have a website that has, you know, stories on it, but how can we really, really prove out our mission? You know, uh, this really is about reframing the a narrative. Difference. Right. It, it's, it really it's changing is.
0: changing yeah. something in the future. Yeah. And I think a lot of, in my mind, a lot of uh, content, I'm not just talking in the hunting fishing space, uh, just generally, mm-hmm. a lot of content out there Yeah, in my mind there's so much that it's kind of it's difficult to know what to consume sometimes as a right. consumer, but equally, it's difficult to know where to find the content that actually moves something forward. Right. Because if you're not uh, shaping a- an opinion or at least providing new information so that you can e- either bolster a position or maybe change your position, then what mm-hmm. are you really doing? Right. You know, there, there's entertainment. There's yeah. something you know, like we get a lot of pleasure out of you know, watching something or reading something that's just for pure entertainment purposes. But mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of that out there. Yeah. And one of the things that really attracted me to Modern Huntsman from the, from the beginning was this idea of shifting a narrative and trying to understand through our own evolution and growth how these pursuits of hunting and and fishing and being embedded in the great outdoors is actually relevant in a world where people are increasingly moving from the outdoors right. into these... Uh, manufactured environments that humans make in yeah. cities. We, yeah. we, we, we every, I think everyone is well aware of this exodus out the countryside, mm-hmm. although maybe actually post-COVID, maybe we're going to see the opposite. But still, uh, even if we see that, there mm-hmm. is definitely, and we talk about this a lot and uh, loads of people have said it, but there is definitely this disconnect with nature. Right. And so how do we take these activities and make them make them relevant? Right. And those discussions haven't necessarily been had in the past.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. You know, I think... You know when I talk about TV shows, I know that that can mean a lot of diff- different things. But you know, some TV shows are just you know, again, it's almost like watching a football game. You're sort of following along on a hunt. You know, I you know, I think some stories are better seen, other stories are better read. Um, some are better heard. You know, through through you know, not only just podcasts, but you know, even through audiobooks, which I'd love to even see more of that, that in our world because we're all, you know, we all have a lot of windshield time as we're driving across the country doing <laughs> Absolutely. hunts. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, for us, it's it's really looking at, we have all these stories we want to tell. One thing I, I also really love, and, and it's something that, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm personally working on here is how can we really start to really tell the story of the culture of hunting and angling? You know, and what I mean by that is just the conservation groups, you know, uh, certainly, you know, what I've seen, you know, having, you know, I should say, really been in this for about 20 years is just how much has changed where it's, it's really become everyone kind of excited for each other that you're a hunter or an angler to these scattered tribes. And, you know, I think that, you know, so
0: you're saying that's what we're seeing now? Oh, I, I absolutely Whereas, think so. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've we've so, so seen... Paint a picture of that kind of story arc of the... So hunt, the hunting and fishing, and, and maybe there's a there's a difference there. I think there certainly is at home in terms of like how it's viewed from the, the public perception between yeah. hunting and fishing, but we can maybe dig into that later. You know, hunting and fishing sits within the outdoors industry. Yeah. It's one component of it, and it's often shunned by many. Yeah. Fishing, less so, but yeah. certainly the hunting yeah. part of it. What is that, that story? over say like the last five or six decades in terms of the the interaction with people who are not participating in it and how how has that changed as a how has the community changed and how the community is viewed because Mm -hmm. what you've just alluded to there is where we are sitting right now Mm -hmm. is there seems to be these factions within the hunting community if we're talking about hunting specifically although i think it's it exists within the fishing as well which is could be argued is detrimental to this bigger picture, so how did we get there? boy, I don't know if I have the best answer for
1: that or or else it would probably take me eight hours to try to find my way into it, but just, I,
0: just go for it I'll just, I'll
1: just riff <laughs> well i I think what what i'm there's a lot of cognitive dissonance out there right now um you know in the I'm going back to 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 the cycling world while, while it was very competitive, you know the goal was to get as many people into cycling as possible to make sure the sport endures, uh, to bring up the next generation. Um, you know, also to, to make sure that, you know, you know, and again, on, on the bike racing side that, you know, that, you know, the Peloton was, was, was getting bigger every year. Um, but there was never what I'm seeing, at least in the hunting and angling, less again, in the, more in the hunting space, I should say, is that, you know, there's there's a lot of us versus them mentality that's really creeped in recently. There's like with within the community? Absolutely, so yeah. like you know, different types of... Well, a lot of, a lot of things have been politicized, which... You I know, mean, we're seeing that
0: a lot right now, obviously. It, right, a lot of
1: things politicized, election. but, you know, a lot of rhetoric weaponized. Um, you know, it, it's an industry where a lot of, you know, organizations and brands and foundations and what have you, you know, always preach, you know, preach, you know, from from the perspective of we got to bring up the next generation we got to you know because um, we're all seeing you know again it's this is even you know not, not a, is more of an observation than an insight but you know we are seeing a precipitous decline in hunting we've seen some good spikes during COVID but but you know when you really look at the numbers it's it's a declining industry from, from hunters coming in
0: I'm gonna keep Go that keep that thought okay. just as, so that I don't forget I just saw something the other day that, uh, in the news that said that um, an extra hundred thousand people had applied for fishing licenses in England alone. I believe that. Yeah. Over COVID. Yeah. So yeah, there's a spike for you. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: a good spike. And and, and 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 I'm still absolutely delusionally positive about just the future of hunting and, and angling. And just there's so many great entities out there that are really doing or just really great jobs of welcoming new folks in. But but when it comes to just messaging and, or, or even just the community itself, I should say, Again, this is the cognitive dissonance side where everyone's trying to welcome new hunters in. There's there's this really blowback for new hunters self identifying as hunters and posting on 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 social where they're really getting called out as being posers or fake and and you yeah. know and I've never understood you know uh, I think you and I've talked about this before but I've never understood this thing about the hardcore hunter versus the newbie right you What know? is hardcore?
0: I don't know what hardcore is. You know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you should know, Bill.
1: The, the, the people are, in, in my own definition, the most hardcore hunters, they're not on Instagram. No, they're, they're not. They're not you know, they're not broadcasting the fact that they're a hardcore hunter. Um, they're not really precious about it. And they're just excited that people hunt, you know, and um, I think it's, um, you know, it, it, and, uh, you know, as a result, you know, I think it's led a lot of new hunters to feel like either they, A, they weren't welcomed or B that the learning curve is going to be so steep, and there's really no one to mentor them. And there there are really uh, there are a couple of really good entities out there that are really really uh, dialing up the mentor mentee side of things, which I think is wonderful. But um, but I'm really surprised that there seems to be this like self hate coming in sometimes about, about new hunters coming in because we need new hunters coming in, you know, economically, um, you know, conservation wise, you know, but. Um, but that, that's something I've I've really been most surprised about, you know, you know, you certainly have like Jerry's and Gapers in the ski world, but it's, it's more of just kind of like a lighthearted, you know, kind of piss taking a little bit versus here where people are really calling out new hunters, uh, you know, whether it's on forums or on comments and things like that. Um, but I think that, you know, so to headlining here, I think that I'm really surprised at how fractured this industry has really gotten in the past five years where it's, you know, you're either wearing this brand or that brand, or you're this type of hunter or that type of hunter. Either you're, you know, uh, it, it, and again, there's just the amount of political rhetoric in this industry um, is, you know, and I definitely think there's a there's a place and there should be homes for it, but I think that it's it's become it's really dominating and it's becoming really divisive at a time when we all need to band together, really, to be champions of one another. Uh, really bring up and 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 really welcome new people in and that also includes uh more you know diversity and inclusivity and what i mean by that is there are and i'll start almost from an economic standpoint uh having worked you know uh and run an outdoor brand and worked for outdoor brands it's it's really you know it's amazing that there are audiences out there you know african-americans asian-american um you know latino cultures uh you know uh and and you know hunters and anglers who are grossly marginalized grossly underrepresented who are feeling like they're stuck on the sidelines they've got a lot of money that they want to put into this world whether it's through gear donations time even um but they just don't see themselves in the equation and they don't so in turn don't feel welcome and you know after a while some might just bounce out you know because you know but they want to self-identify as hunters and anglers and a lot of brands preach that they're open to this, but you don't see it reflected in the, in their marketing one bit or any of their communications. And so, how does how does that change? Does that change in the marketing office? Uh, that changes really at all levels: uh, the people they hire, mm-hmm. the people making the work, uh, the folks that they include in their, you know, their content or shows or things like that. Um, you know, there are definitely some really great bright spots. You know, in, in fact, one thing I'm really excited about is brown folks fishing. Uh, where you mentioned this to y- me the other day. Yeah, I'd never I, heard of it. I, you know, I think so. This is an organization, isn't it? It's an organization, and um, you know, it's you know, th- I think they just they were just fed up, and they said, "Listen, if if you're not going to represent us, if we're not going to feel part of your world, we'll just create our own world." And. You know, but you know, I used to sit in in the, in in these meetings where you're you're pouring over all the analytics and, and, and consumer segmentation and data and all those buzzwords. Um, you 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 would see that wow, like like Asian Americans are are a fast growing segment in the outdoor space in general, but brands aren't, but they're 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 invisible, and it was always just kind of a a, a shaker for me because um, you know, just from a growth standpoint, from a business standpoint, and again, in a category and industry standpoint, um, I still think we're pretty slow to the draw on that front. And so that's something that we talked about a great deal on our podcast. A lot of brands are also worried that if they start, they're going to start pandering. And I guess my best answer for that is just start, you know, just get it done, just get it done because you got to start at some point. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, the hunting and angling industries, I don't think are a, much of a mirror reflection of how America really is and I think the more we get there the more it'll grow and you know I think new stories and ideas and ways to do things will will come into play and I just for me it just seems like such a great way to just evolve grow expand you know dimensionalize you know uh, th- this this way of life and and for some reason you know brands are pretty slow to to get going on that and I wonder
0: if that kind of go draws somewhat back to this increased factionalization that we see now where it's not whereas in the past maybe it was seen as way more inclusive in terms of the types of activities that you did i'm not even just talking about people but the whatever type of activity you did whether it was i don't know i'm picking a, a silly example here but i think this actually exists now if you're a an inverted commas, hardcore fly fisherman turning your nose up at the guy who likes to sit and bait for carp yeah and you can you can expand that out and Mm -hmm. it becomes like one is better than the other yeah so do you think maybe we're not as and it's weird for me to say this because this is like when we sit around the table here like the modern huntsman team yeah we are going to every corner of the world and every core every culture you can possibly think of to try and work yeah. out what stories haven't been told that we can tell mm-hmm. like that is what we do yeah all the time that's yeah. like every phone call that we have uh, so but I know I realize that that's not representative of what's going on in you know the rest of the industry now absolutely yeah and maybe that's I've, one of this one of the things that I think is, makes modern huntsman so important and maybe it just sounds like I'm trying to Low smoke because I'm also involved, but I think it's true. Well, it is. I mean, we we sat and had a,
1: had, a, had a session yesterday where you know we were discussing everything, but you know um, I'm still looking for it. But there seems to be this unofficial rule book out there, this golden unofficial rule book or or quasi official rule book. But the thing I've always scratched my it, just from my own personal philosophy. I'm however you want to hunt or fish as long as it's it's not illegal. But but however you want to do it, however you want to talk about it, just do it. You know, and but. People get flamed pretty hard, uh, you know. I know it's an industry that really likes to thumb its nose at cancel culture, but the marketing, or so marketing, the hunting and angling industries uh, are very quick to cancel people out, you know. So that's another cognitive dissonant, uh, dissonance there. But if it um, doesn't fit, if it with doesn't their fit the mold, job, and and, yeah. and um, but but I'm always surprised that that like who's writing these rules, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of you know companies, uh, a lot of entities. Um, seem to be battling for whose point of view is right, which for me seems like such a zero sum game. I mean, I don't understand. You know, you know, we should be. However, you, as long as you are doing, that's fine. That's great. You know, and and you know, um, I, I, again, I'm I've, I've always been really surprised that, and, and I and, and I should say I experienced this when I was coming in, into this. You know, um, even though I've been fly fishing forever, I still feel like I, I I'm I'm learning right, and I'm a, I'm still a total gaper in fly fishing. But, you know, I think that, you know. I certainly felt that pressure right away and you had to, you know, uh, and I've said this a few times, I'll probably get flamed for it, but you know, there was this long time thing. If you, if you were, the only way to be taken seriously as a duck hunter is if you had the banded lanyard, a big beard, and you ascribe to these kind of politics and, you know, you know, and, and and you can sort of find those in sort of every facet of this industry. But, but, um, but, uh, you know, I've always been surprised that people are get so hung up on how other people are doing things. And, you know, again, I think, it's really limiting, and again, from not only just an economic standpoint and a financial standpoint for companies, but it's just really limiting for growth. And I think you're, you know, and and I'm not saying this is just truly endemic to the to the honey and angel space. You know, you know, I was I was a big climbing poser for years. You know, I did it. Never felt I was great at it, but. You know, there were definitely ways you had, you know, you had to be vegan. You had to climb in these areas. So every little, there's, there's that precious, preciousness, to any kind of know, passion and pursuit, right? Yeah. But, but it's really we want people
0: to break the mold, right? But That's it, what we're about. exactly
1: right. It's, it, it, but it's, it's very pronounced in the hunting and angling space, it is, and yeah. that, and that was another sort of impetus behind the podcast because we said, you know, just creatively, you're really leaving a lot of potentially interesting things that could really reach and mean a lot to people on the table. You know, because you're afraid to put something, some things out. You're afraid to embrace these audiences and what have you. So,
0: what about in the recent years? I'm 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 trying to think how far back I have to cast my mind, but probably the last five years. This realization of. External attacks against hunting, particularly much less so against fishing, although we do see some aspects of it, say in like shark fishing and and some big game fishing, um, has been to really embrace a conservation message, which in many respects I think is awesome. But there is a feeling, and, and I see it time and time again, where you can't help but wonder whether it's just brands jumping on a bandwagon because they know it's a box that they need to tick. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
1: That's a great question. Well, this is my own personal. This is my mm-hmm. own. I'm on my own cloud here. Um, I believe that if you're a business or you're a, an organization that makes money on the outdoors, you have an obligation to protect it, give back, and make sure that conservation's a, a big part of your messaging. I also do believe, and I believe that for brands as well. Um, you know, you know, I grew up uh, in a very small town, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and you know, hunting was just part of the fabric of 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 our life back then, where you know, it, it was just so ingrained, but, you know, conservation was, was kind of invisible at the time. And, you know, I'm really, I, I will say this, there's a great deal more of conservation centric things out there, which is great. But, um, but I do think that really, oh boy, how do I say this? I think if you, I mean, I mean, where would we be without the outdoors? And I think we're, 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 we're losing more access, you know, uh, than than we've had in the past. And there's, and well, I mean, but some areas are losing access while others are gaining access. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, also some people just in, in their areas, you know, don't have access. And, you know, I'm not saying if you hunt private, that's bad. I'm not saying, you know, you always, you only have to hunt, hunt public, but I do think that for me, I also think you, you dive deeper into your passion when you connect more with your environment, you know, what affects your environment. Um, I also d- just myself just really dork out on a lot of the science behind things. And it's been really interesting to see the effects of bad, you know, or mismanagement and whatnot. So so there are a lot of the right conversations had, but I wish it was a little bit more centralized and, and more, uh, more of a daily diet you know, for this category.
0: For yeah, sure. I mean, my mind kind of goes, we were talking about this uh, briefly the other day. Um, I think it was with yourself which was how much responsibility the uh, brands have, so whatever brand, whatever they're producing, in terms of their marketing plan and the kind of message that that tells uh, and and the way that they portray themselves to really embrace this. So the one very generic example that if you were to go back – In probably any hunting publication around the world for almost any brand of scope manufacturer will be, you know, the monster buck Mm -hmm. inside a crosshair. Probably at some point in their history, they would have, like, that would have been a one-page marketing campaign. Yeah. Have we moved on from that now? Or should we move on from it? Is it important? Like, what does that say? Uh, so yes, I would
1: say we have been moving on. I use the the royal we. Uh, the industry has really moved on from that, but it still has a great deal of overly aspirational messaging. I would say, in some respects, it's really created a, a lot of false expectations of of the experience. Um, you know, I think that the and I've even seen this in groups. I a lot of times people don't. Understand what the overall experience is really like, and and that the other experiences outside of just you know harvesting an animal are really what make it so amazing. And I think that's even what you know some brands are touching on it, but I think brands can do that more. Uh, But it's always it's always the win. And this was certainly really analogous to the general outdoor space. I've worked on a lot of big you know you know the big two apparel brands out there. Um, And you know what I used to always say this in my marketing, and we see even hear this in consumer groups that. You know, it was always about conquering and going out and kicking nature's ass. It was always yeah. about somehow winning, like this concept of winning. You know, it's was,
0: it was like conquering of the uh, conquering of the West. Isn't yeah, it? it's like it, getting one over nature.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which you know, and the, you know, so I think you know, some brands have really come out where it's more about communing with nature. And of course, they saw this just massive hockey like stick graph spike and just affinity and love and all those things. But, but yeah, I, I think that there was this sense that you had to get something out of it. You know, versus just communing with it, just enjoying the experience, um, and you know, I, I, that's why I think, you know, and, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I've seen again, the, 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 the research where, you know, and I've even seen this the social side whenever, you know, and I've even seen this myself, you know, when, you know, I don't post a lot of grip and grins on my social, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out, are you even really a hunter and stuff like that? But, you know, a lot of people get that, but, but, you know, every time I've ever posted a picture of a fish or I've, you know, shown an elk, you know, that, that, you know, some of my Colorado elk, um, you know, I just, I get a lot more likes, you know, but, um, so it does work. And so that I think that, so I don't think brands are, are doing it because they think that's how it should be so much as they just know that it works. It gets a lot of play. Um, but you know, it, 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 sometimes it's kind of hard to make community with nature really exciting. And, um, you know, particularly when you're just, you know, competing for attention out there. So, you know, I, I get why people go to what works and, and, but I think unfortunately they get really addicted to that. Um, so it's, there's a balance I think that, that brands can do. And and again, I don't want to say like, it's, it's like the systemic problem. Brands are doing a lot more, but, but yeah, I think that, wow. I mean, it's, I, I think, you know, what we're a little tone deaf to is that, there are a lot of reasons people come in, into hunting. Uh, I came into it through food, you know. Um, I think that's a common a big, story these days. Big, yeah. big, nerdy, healthy, you know, food, foodie. But um, And that's why I did it. So some people come through, you know, the farm table kind of thing or the wild game thing. Other people come into it just to, you know, find a way to really tie more skill sets together. Um, you know, for me, that's another thing I really did about hunting. It was like a real aha for me was that, wow, I can, you know, I, I did a lot of bushcraft, you know, courses or, over the years. I did a lot of survival courses, things like that. And so it was really great to kind of tie in camping skills and survival skills and bushcraft skills. And it was kind of the one thing that kind of pulled it's all together sort of into, into one experience that, you know, and it tied to all the things I really love together in one. So that's, that's really why why I, you know, why I do it, but other people come in because they do it exclusively for, for food. Other people come in because they do love the trophy. They love hanging out with friends and it's a way to get together for friends all around the world. And so, you know, however you want to do it again it, it, it is fine. But, but I think that brands can get very one dimensional, the industry can get very one dimensional as to the, you know, the one reason why you need to do this, or if you don't do it this way, then you really kind of ass out, you know, and, and things like that. But, 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 you know, you know, brands, and I've seen this uh, in groups as well, brands particularly in the hunting and angling space are really the first stop for 90% of new hunters.
0: They in don't, terms of how they see what they're... The, how, how,
1: they, how they learn about what's out there, okay. um, how they determine, like, how
0: should I be dressing or... So or, before they're doing the deep dive into yeah. long, lengthy articles, it's the brand adverts or like this brochure we have sitting here on boots. So, so
1: I do believe this, is, and again, my own personal philosophy here, but I do believe that brands have a great deal of responsibility to really either you know accurately represent ethically represent hunting and, and, and angling because people follow brands a lot more in this space than i've seen in, in other categories i've worked on in in, in my past in professional like life.
0: even in other parts of the outdoors absolutely really? absolutely yeah so and they
1: so they really do have this
0: amazing cool and responsibility they, they have
1: they, they they have a lot of power hmm. um on whether people want to come into this world or, or, or don't and And again, I'm not wagging my finger or or indicting brands, but, but, uh, and I also think that's a really great thing for brands as well, because it's great if they've got, right.
0: But, but equally there's the responsibility attached. Right. Absolutely. Like Spider-Man. (laughs) Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) Great power. Exactly.
1: And, um, and so I think that, you know, as a result, um, and again, I even say creatively that, that, that just gives such a wider canvas for brands in terms of stories they tell, how, how they show up in the world, uh, who they market to and talk to and, 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 in turn embrace, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you know, a lot of times, um, you know, and and it, this is sort of obviously similar in, in the ski and in ski and snow world, but snow and uh, snow, even in skate world, I should say. But um, I, I think that hunting brands really are what are really driving this industry, which you talk about in trends. You know, when when I was first coming in, you know, even in in the big game hunting, you know, all those years ago, um, you never like brands really didn't have the clout that they did like more of the the magazines really did or books really did or um
0: probably characters as well and, and
1: characters as well and you know obviously there were there were always you know and i'm dating myself you know i grew up watching babe Winkleman and all those and but um but you know but you didn't have brands really defining and really you know carrying where it's going or in a lot of ways brands have really invented sort of trends you know in, in the industry so brands they're they're powerful in this in this space for sure absolutely they have they have a, a great deal of influence on the health of the and the health of the industry i should say
0: for sure in terms of the hunting industry and interaction and communication and perception with people who are not inside the hunting yeah. co- community how do you see that? I mean, it's kind of an extension of what we've been talking about here, but we've been more, more been focusing like internally. internally. Um, how does that communication change? I mean, it's no secret that in probably pretty much every country around the world, uh, people who hunt, uh, particularly, like I said before, more so than fishing, although I think that's coming as we start to talk about things like catch and release, where we've already seen in some European countries, you're not allowed to do that anymore um there's a lot of pressure and there are if i think about my older friends who have hunted their whole life i think if you were to ask them they're probably say that they're glad that they got to enjoy it because they can't see it lasting for their to the end of their kids lives yeah which is a really – and I don't know if it's just that they're so jaded because they weren't used to these attacks and bad stories and, and highlighting the, the ethical and moral issues, which I think we all need to mm-hmm. tackle in our own minds. They weren't used to seeing that for the first 50 years of their yeah. life. And now, just in the last – in their sort of twilight years, as they're trying to enjoy it, they're seeing this, and I think they very much kind of tune out to it because they know that it's going to continue until they're six p Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, do, how do we – how do we tackle that without just losing the will? Because it seems relentless in many – like at home. you know, I live in Scotland, um, although actually more than half the listeners of this podcast are in the U.S. Uh, we – on a weekly basis, you see some negative story in the press related somehow to part of the hunting community, some of which maybe we deserve – Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of which we don't. I agree with that. Yeah, uh, uh, is part of that actually reflecting on the elements that need to change, like in taking ownership of that? Well, you know,
1: you know, I've said this before, you know, even on our podcast. If we don't unify, if we don't establish, and and I don't want to have a bunch of rules, you know, in this industry because I do love that it's still a little bit of this kind of wild side to it, but. But unless we really unify and we establish some real standards, whether it's ethically, whether it's you know our practices, uh, people are going to start making choices for us. And if we don't start getting into the the, the conversations out there, because what I've seen is um, there's there's kind of this this kind of fu mentality to the general population. Yeah, you know, this but, is who we are, and we're going like like to. do And yeah, yeah, if, if you don't like it, you don't have to be involved. if you don't like it, you know you know go back to your avocado
0: toast, but I like,
1: actually I like it. So I love
0: avocado toast, yeah. but I, I am beginning to feel increasingly guilty about eating avocados, <laughs> but that's a whole other story. But, but
1: yeah, but I, you know, I like, it's good. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, so, so that, that, that's kind of the the position I come from that, you know, we do need to start getting into those larger cultural conversations. We need to do it uh, from a position of, you know, you know, authority, respect, uh, empathy, uh, and because, you know, like, you know, there, there's plenty of, of evidence out there that, you know, people who are responding negatively to some of the attitudes in our industry, they're, they're going to be making decisions that will ultimately truly affect this way of life. And so I do think we, as a, in as an industry, as hunters and anglers do need to start really looking at, you know, getting out in, into those conversations, listening, not just sort of, and, you know, sticking to our entrenched beliefs, um, and, um. You know, I, you know, and again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of the articles that you see when you do read things in the New York Times is generally not positive, though. Uh, I just saw a really great article in the Wall Street Journal where it's talking about the benefits of hunting as conservation, which is still a very polarizing topic. Um, but I, I would love to see more of this industry uh, actually speaking on this much larger cultural platform about, you know, listen, what, you know, the bad things you're seeing, you know, here's a better way to, to, to frame this, I should say. Culturally, the exception is always a rule anyway, right now. That's, that's American culture right now. Um, and so I think when you do see, whether it's it's a poaching story or really poor uh, treatment of animals, um, uh, and I've seen so many stupid photos of what, what people do. And, and so I'm probably talking out of both sides of my mouth about being able to do what you want. But, but I do think that we as an industry can do a little better job of self-policing. Um, we can do a better job of, of listening and then responding objectively and, and, and respectfully. Um, you, there are always going to be anti-hunters out there. Um, but I do think that particularly folks that I have friends who were vehemently anti-hunting until, you know, I, I, you know, again, I, I share my experiences. They sort of seen just, you know, cause I always tell them, I said, you're going to be introduced to amazing places. You're going to be introduced to amazing people. Uh, you know, most hunters I know, in fact, in fact, I should say almost every hunter that I, you know, talk to on a, on a, on a regular basis, um, uh, they, they don't even like where some of this rhetoric is going, um, uh, even in our own in- industry, but again, sometimes, you know, some, some of the sort of rougher elements, you know, have a bigger megaphone mouthpiece, you know, and sort of tend to, you know, out shout, you know, some of the other conversations that are happening out there. But, you know, one thing I'm really, really proud of, uh, of the angling industry is how, it's done a really great job of really raising awareness of just, you know, in, industrial abuse, you know. It, it, yep. Let me put it this way. I think the, the angling side of things tends to really collect or come together more for the betterment of everybody, not just anglers. I'd love to see the hunting industry do a lot more of that as well. And I think brands can really help really accelerate those conversations. I get why brands are scared to do that because, you know, it could have a potential, you know, audience, you know, implications there, but but you know, boy, you know, I guess for me when and, and and again i'll go back to i i'm absolutely really positive about a lot of the changes i i'm seeing a lot of brands really step up really represent well and i've seen even in 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 the research i've seen a, a lot of change in culture anyway so i wouldn't say that it's 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 not as good as it should be but it's not as bad as it was and but there's still a lot more that we can be doing and but again i i say this to brands all the time but i would love to see hunting uh become part of the you know fabric of 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 America specifically again like it was you know i mean we used to have the first week off of november in school really know, when was in Did middle school, hunting. i should say back in the 1800s when um, <laughs> Not knowing when, you, were when at uh, you know because because yeah people just went out and, and, yeah. and went hunting and that was you know it was family time and it was all that but um but yeah you know i think that a lot of times too um as people start to profit on the outdoors as people start to uh, build businesses that are specifically in the outdoors. Um, you know, again, more and more, the more they can start from a position of where you know this is good for everybody, whether you do it or not. And I think that's 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 a, a that's a it's a narrative that exists that I wish was much stronger.
0: Yeah, I, as I think about how we just as humans exist on this planet at increasingly at increasing populations and with the pressure that we have on every environment and basically every corner of the globe. My view of the future of conservation and our ability to hold on to these things that we certainly say we hold dear, even if our actions don't necessarily reflect that, is much more about integrating humans within a landscape than this more preservationist view where we keep humans out. And I can, I can see why it frightens people to think about that if we, if we look at Central Africa and the Congo Basin and we look at all the forests being felled there and uh, the extirpation of, of different species because of um, poaching and international legal trade, and that's mirrored, and you know, yeah, particularly yeah. in South America, it ha- t- tends to be in these most biodiverse places on the planet, sadly. Our minds immediately go to, well, get the people out. So that these areas can be safe, but I don't see that as a long term possibility. I, I think a, a much more pragmatic view is how can we integrate ourselves back with nature, so that there. And I don't want to use the word balance because I think that it's been it's overused and was very misunderstood because there is no balance in nature. There is only uh, shifting baselines all the time and the most obvious way that we that people can access this integration and and a greater understanding and living in a more sympathetic way with the landscape mm-hmm. is to participate in yeah. these kind of activities now don't get me wrong i am not suggesting that everybody should or indeed that actually everybody can i don't mm-hmm. we have too many people yeah but we should be comfortable with understanding how those people who want to can live within a landscape with nature yeah. rather than pulling themselves out, and that's kind of that's how I see hunting. That's how I mm-hmm. that's how I see fishing, and I think one of the things that uh, one of the amazing things that has been driven through the combination of, of articles and stories being told within modern huntsmen is we are telling stories of regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And the next page, is a story about spearfishing. I see them as the same thing. Yeah, it is. How do we live in this planet in a better way?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I, I, yes. on this planet, yes, probably. to all that. You know, I yeah. think uh, a wildlife, uh, a honey buddy, and a wildlife biologist friend was, you know, we're, we're pretty much, I guess, pe- well, according according to to his research, we are past the point where humans, we actually are actively affecting everything, right? Like we, there's no. You know area of the world where animals aren't affected by humans, so in one
0: way I mean the the, the it, fact that we have global climate change means that everything's affected
1: right right, yeah. so I think that um uh, so yes, I agree with you, and I think that um wow, I mean it, that, I mean there's a lot there you could, you can go into, but I think you know you look at I've seen just the transformational effect on friends who have brought out hunting uh even just generally camping you know because probably. Just the disconnect, you know, the continued growing disconnect with nature and people in our daily lives is, is, you know, it's not great. And you know, it was always at least part of of American culture is one of our best, you know, assets was just, you know, the 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 wild spaces and open spaces. But um, but I also think getting in psychologically because you know there's all these books about nature bathing and the you know they've actually been able to really prove out the effect that nature has you oh, know, you on, personal some, well-being. on personal well-being and all yeah. that. it's so, very
0: difficult to quantify but yeah
1: absolutely but you know but but just taking a more holistic approach to what it means to be human on this planet uh, how we interact with this planet and and having a point of view and building a way of life that is respectful of of, of that um i think is great um i do think that um you know i've seen man, i've seen quite a bit of 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 arguments you know that oh boy i don't
0: want to go there I was about to go somewhere. I, I That's okay. We can move on. I do want to Next go. Next thought. <laughs> yeah. I. I. Sometimes it's hard not to feel just completely um, downtrodden mm-hmm. by the direction that humans are, are taking globally, even before we look at the hunting space. Yeah. And before we look at the fishing space, which was a very big part, if I think about my formative years and the things that kind of shape me and the, the character that I have and, and, and how I am, you know, even between people, obviously that is somewhat shaped by relationships, but it is also shaped by my my relationships with people, but it's also shaped by my, my relationships with the great outdoors. Right. And I think it's it also, for me personally, it gave me the ability to be comfortable by myself, mm-hmm. like in myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is a certain uh, peace and contentment that you get by spending time in nature. Yeah. And I can think to probably only... I I honestly believe that in any one lifetime, there probably is only a very small number of moments. And they're not like days. They're small little Mm -hmm. moments, little niche moments Mm -hmm. of pure contentment. Yeah. Where... There is; it couldn't possibly be any better. Yeah, and if I was to think about those, the small number that there are, more of them are just being in nature. Yep. Not okay. I think probably all of them. I was also hunting. Well, actually, I can think of one. I can. I'll name one because uh, I remember very specifically every detail of it. Was sitting in the mountains in the Himalayas in Nepal. It was a hunting trip. I wasn't hunting. I was taking photos. I was doing my job. I taking photos and making film. Um, but we were there on a, on a hunting trip, and I was sitting looking at the the sun going down, casting this final blue shadows over the mountain tops with the peaks lit up by snow. On my own, the camp was back a few hundred meters away and I'm sitting on the stone, camera sitting on my lap and I was looking out at the mountains and I just had this epiphany of pure contentment. There was nothing that could be better than that moment in my life. And I, I very distinctly remember that. And I know that I'm not going to have that many of them. Yeah. So we need to find them. And I think that I would be very surprised if people to really think hard about it I, I would think a lot of those are probably going to be somewhere experiencing the great outdoors. They're not going to be in a building. Somewhere. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. You know, it might be a particular time of a certain relationship you've had with someone. I think yeah. that, that is very true. Even if I think of it myself, but those pure contentments. It's yeah, it's I, something about our deep seated historical connection with nature and how we evolved as humans in the first place that I think keeps taking us back there. Yeah, I. I
1: you know, I, 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 I have a few of those moments. I call them my my truly wild moments. You know, mine, mine were it was the first solo elk hunt I did in Colorado, and I was out for a week, and it was, I think, even my third time. You know, uh, you know, um, elk hunting, and I remember it was the first time I experienced the most extreme full spectrum of emotions where first night and it was, I remember it was, it was just, it was boiling hot. I remember I slept on top of my sleeping bag outside of a tent under the stars. And it was, and and, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it It was the most freaked out I've been uh, just because it was such a foreign, you know, environment without people around uh, truly out by myself. Um, But I just, you know, being alone inside your own head is really scary for a lot of people, you know, but for a full week where I didn't talk to anybody, it was just me out there, and how you then, you know, uh, then sort of my second wild moment was I really realized like, wait a minute, I was getting up just before sunrise, and I was pretty much passing out asleep just before. It's
0: amazing, and that.
1: how quickly you just you, you go, you just align and, and, yeah. and get into the, the the flow of of the fabric of the cosmos here. And my other one was and as silly as it sounds, but I remember uh, I took a bath in a high alpine lake, completely naked, and I and I remember I swam <laughs> out right to the middle of it, and I, rem- I remember just. Realizing, like here I am, completely in my birthday suit, sitting out there in the middle of this high alpine, like nobody around, uh, just surrounded by mountains. And I know, you know, that's probably half of Instagram right now. But, <laughs> but, but I remember that that moment because it was just the most wild and free, and as cliche as it sounds, but it it was like, like I felt high, like it was just this incredible high exc- on life, oh, high on life. Yeah. And it was just so so great. And but I, you know, but I probably have a million of those little moments where you know, just, you know, e- even, um, you know, just being surrounded by Cody's howling in the middle of the night, you know, by myself to, you know, e- even sometimes I didn't even light a campfire. It was just so nice to just kind of sit there and, you know, I didn't bring any books because I forgot them. But, um, but it was, uh, it, 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 I remember it felt like I had been gone for three months when I came, came back out of the mountains and, I can honestly say, and I'm sure half your listeners or all your listeners will roll your eyes, but I really felt like I was a different person walking out of those mountains. And, and, you know, and it's interesting what your body does when, you know, you're tired, you've been out in the elements so long, like weird crap in your brain from like third grade playground insults come back. And like, it feels like your body's trying to just fight it, you know, to, to, you know, but, but when you kind of, it's like a rubber band that just, you pulled so much, it just snapped. And I just felt just, just so apart of the landscape as opposed to just feeling like I was kind of in it. And, you know, yeah, I mean, so having you're a hiker participating
0: backer. within yeah. it rather than being a spectator. And
1: when I tell people that story and I've had a couple of friends who've had similar experiences, they're the same way where they, they just realize like, wait a minute, this is, this is just how I want to live my life for, you know, for the rest of, for rest of my life. So, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I just would love to see more people do that and experience that because I have, you know, I love the New York city, LA, San Francisco. And, you know, um, you know, I had a lot of friends who were just like, so terrified of even the thought of going camping and and I get that too but you know it, how
0: how did you in your in your head when you were living in big cities yeah. how did you balance the the clear desire that you have and, and it's very obviously a very fundamental part of being who you are being being out like sitting where we're sitting now in Montana with the, the mountains and and the sun and the the freedom to walk in the open spaces and to hunt and fish how did you how did you balance that with the existence inside a place? You know, like like LA, for example. Yeah,
1: well, a lot of places. Uh, well, first and foremost, I was always scratching at the walls to get out. So any opportunity I had to go up in the mountains outside of LA, or just travel a lot of, you know, I did that. Uh, you know, even when when my daughter was born, you know, like you know, she was on my back while I was you know out hiking or fishing or whatnot. Um, but uh, you know, through books. Through, so through media you know yeah. all, all of the above really and i think that's why you've seen such a, a rise in that um you know particularly you know on things like netflix where people you know escape into it um but but i was always the type of if i wasn't actually out doing it, i was constantly daydreaming about it you know but uh and i always felt like i wish i was doing it more i'll be honest you know in in, in those areas before i moved moved you know to to it's yeah Colorado, it's weird
0: though because um for me <laughs> So I spent a number of years working in cities in what feels like a previous life now, certainly a previous career, two previous careers. And I actually did more hunting during those periods where I lived in cities than I do now. Yeah. Because now it's my every day and I'm writing or taking photos or podcasting, you know, whatever. Whereas then I, I, I hated my my monday to friday nine to five and i was daydreaming and thinking like every every moment yeah. that, that i could not be doing my job i was thinking about yeah. that and then i would i was so fed up at the end of the week that all i would do all weekend was just go go fishing or hunting or camping yeah. or, or whatever it might be but almost now that i have the almost the luxury to be able to do it whenever i want i seem to do it less and maybe i need to readjust my life i don't know <laughs> Or, or maybe you don't realize you're doing it more than you think. Probably, oh, maybe, but yeah, but maybe because it, now it isn't this because it is so accessible. It isn't this thing that I'm just longing for all yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, it you know, and it really depended on the city.
1: You know, New York City. Um, you know, funny enough, I learned how to fly fish in the Harlem Mirror in Central Park. Really? Yep. And <laughs>
0: what what is that? So Harlem
1: Meers it's it's a it's, it, it's a it's a it's a giant uh, it's an artificial uh, pond okay. in Central Park, and I remember. One day, I was walking by uh, an Orvis store, and you know, I grew up, you know, going to Orvis when I was a kid, and always, you know, rub my cheek up against all the of cool course, or stuff, but, yeah, who didn't, you know? But but I uh, remember I walked by an Orvis store, and I saw a reflection of myself in the mirror, and and you know, you, you kind of matched the hatch You live in New York City, I had all the New York City clothes on, you know, I was working in advertising, you know, in the, in the corporate world, but. I remember looking at a mirror reflection myself and I thought I look like a, a an absolute moron, look, you know, I was wearing all these like trendy New York clothes. I like, I, 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 I look like a a cast member from the show star Trek, you know, look, look at this. And, and I just realized it wasn't me. And I had one of those. So oddly enough, like I really just fell in love with, you know, the possibilities of living more of a, an outdoor wildlife. And you know, I remember I walked in and I walked over to the fly fishing department and there was this really grizzled guy, in the back of the time, really, really funny car. You literally a cartoon character. And I said, you know, how do I get into, to fly fishing? Like, how do I do this? Like, you know, um, you know, I had a general sense, I do it, but I, I said, where can I go learn this? Is, are there places? And he says, well, I can take you into central park and I can teach you how to cast. And so fast forward, you know, a week and here I was, you know, sitting, you know, in the middle of Central Park, you know, in front of this casting pond with all these people walking by, you know, with this long back cast, Amazing. you know, of course dropping it, you know, because I was dropped my wrist, still do. But, um, but it, it was, it was, it was, I always like, it was such a fun way, uh, and he was still the best casting instructor I ever had. <laughs> and, and, you know, and then, but I would drive up, upstate and that's actually led me to go, uh, that's how I got into restoring old Range Rovers because, I, I found this just beater rover and because we had to park on the street and I want to get a new car and I was literally you know sitting under it you know uh you know as the street sweepers were kind of going around me you know mm. give me the finger you know working on it but I would drive uh every weekend I would I would just drive upstate and just go hit the rivers up there and yeah. and I knew
0: it's amazing how accessible almost, that is from New York and the only reason I know that is because of Danny yeah who's been on the podcast before he yeah now lives in Italy but was a a high end photographer and yeah. high end fashion photographer in New York. And yeah. he, he was telling me about his escape. So the weekend I was like, You can do that and yeah. live in the it's middle of
1: New York. Beautiful out there. And it was, and I really feel lucky to have, you know, it's, it's it still as like, you know, and I, anything heritage, I'll always, you know, I um, always feel strongly for, but, you know, just some of those just legacy rivers up there. And I know there are legacy rivers everywhere, but the legacy rivers up there, the culture of fly fishing there, um, it was, it was, it was so great. And, you know, that led to us just buying a place upstate. Um, and, uh, you know, we lost a friend in nine eleven and we just said, oh, we got to get out of the city. And were
0: we, you in the city? Yeah. Then? Yeah. You were? Wow. Yeah, I actually went
1: cycling with my friend who died that morning, um, in he, Central Park. He, he lived in the towers? It was, it was, uh, it oh, was, sorry, he worked in the she, towers. she worked there. Yep. And, um, uh, Nancy Morganstern was her name. Wow. And she was actually on my wife's cycling team, but she and I were doing a training ride in Central Park cause I lived right off the park and, uh, that morning. And then she went, uh, she left early cause she had to get into Dance Fitzgerald, uh, earlier and you know, she, she passed in nine eleven. So we went through this, we, we had to get out. So we bought this small place in upstate New York, but it was, I had a, a stream through my backyard. So it was great. So we do trout and eggs in the morning every once in a while, but, um, but, you know, I did a lot more of it there. And that's where I got into pheasant hunting out there because across the street was a farmer. Uh, it, it's still though it, it just vast swass of land. He, he owned a, just a, a really great spot, but you know, I just would go across the street, got to be friendly with them. He said, Hey, let's go grab a couple of birds and, you know, cook some Thanksgiving stuff. So that's how I get into pheasant hunting. I'm going back now Jesus, twenty one years ago now. But but regardless, um everybody though that I and I've been really fortunate, everybody uh who's ever indulged my my stupid questions, my newbie thing has always been welcoming. And so I feel very, very fortunate. I've had friends who've had the opposite experience, candidly, but um we've walked into. a you know, you know either a fly shop where people were thumbing their nose, as you said, or you know they've walked into you know they want to get an archery, you know, because they didn't really want to get into the gun thing, so they went in archery first, and you walked in some bow shops that were you know you know it's intimidating, you know, and you see you know people you know with just looking at a compound bow and 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 just like how do you even start? What do I even buy? You know who do I talk to? All that stuff, but but I've been really really fortunate on that front, but but yeah, I've I've had such a very atypical way of of moving to the world of hunting and in fishing, but but you know. It, it, you, you see a lot of it now i mean actually one of the best fly shops uh, that i've ever seen was actually in downtown san francisco and at, at lunch i always go and hang out there and just kind of escape for a, a little bit there but um even in san francisco there was just really great fishing out there and great hunting out and out there definitely a lot more restrictions out there yeah, and, and yeah. it seems to be more and more every year but um
0: what's what's the name of the fishing shop? So no, fly shop
1: say again leland fly shop okay yep and uh so yeah so you know uh if if you really want to do it, you'll find a way, and that's mm-hmm. what I always tell. tell even if folks. you're in even an if you're, urban you're place. even if like we lived in the we lived uh, in, uh, in, in in Venice and in L A. But you know we you know bomb up north and
0: get after it. As a way to wrap this conversation up, we are sitting only a stone's throw from Livingston, which happens to be a location rather close to your heart because of <laughs> a particular writer,
1: <laughs> Jim Harrison. Jim Harrison, yes. So. I was very fortunate that my my dad uh, force fed me Tom McGuane and Jim Harrison. Uh, Jim Harrison, you know. So it, I'm gonna
0: just for context for okay. people who don't maybe don't know who Jim Harrison is a lot of people who listen to this podcast I would think have probably seen Legends of the Fall right. the film right. even if you haven't read the book. That's Jim Harrison.
1: Yeah, that was that was, that was probably his. Um, well, it depends on who you talk to. That was probably that was his first sort of mass cultural sort of. Sort of success, but you know he'd been writing. You know he started as a poet, and then you know I started writing books. But, but as as cliche as it sounds, he was the one writer. Even at a young, I'm still dumb, but when I was I was dumb back then too. But, uh, but just the the one writer where I was just completely lost in it. Like spoke to me all those cliches, but. Um, and it was a real honor to, to actually spend time with Tom McWane and, and have him on our podcast as well, which was, you know, they said never meet your heroes, but it was the total that He was just as amazing as I thought he'd ever be. And, but, but, you know, but, but here in Livingston, yeah, you know, Jim Harrison, just this is have the story. Jim Harrison? No, never. I wish. I did hang out with his grandson a couple of days ago though, uh, at his wine shop, uh, um, Jim Harrison's old wine shop here in town, but, but, you know, Livingston has just such a, I mean, there's so many great writers here, Doug Peacock and obviously McQuain and, and so many others. Um, But it, it's, uh, you know, always hearing about it, you know, always, you know, you'd always see Livingston attached to Jim Harrison, whether he was being interviewed or whether you talk about it, he obviously lived, lived outside, but, um, but it, it, I always just have, have such a love. So to actually be here and, and, you know, I do business here now and spend a great deal of time on here now, uh, this is one of my favorite spots on earth. I get, I get why. If I was Jim Harrison, I'd, I, don't, I, 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 I'm surprised that not everyone lives here right now. But, <laughs> I but, think a lot of people are thinking yeah, it's probably a matter of
0: time, right? But um, <laughs> tell the, the story about him, like how he, my understanding was he wrote Legends of the Fall and changed like one word or something. Well, crazy.
1: Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of myth around it. So, but uh, I've heard he's he's re- talked about it as he well. Wrote it he wrote it in nine days. Okay, um, it didn't really change much. It was one of those, you know. Um, I have days. musician friends who've you know have you know they said a song an entire song just comes to him with lyrics everything mm. I think maybe it was like that, um, but uh, yeah that that was I think the the fastest story I ever wrote that made him the most money so it's funny yeah. how life works but um, but you know so it was a good hourly rate, that one. Oh yeah I'm sure right <laughs> but but yeah I mean he was just but one thing I just love about Jim Harrison was that you know as as you know how a lot of authors go you know they become kind of celebrity icons things like that he always just. Always seemed like so just true to why he did it to begin with. I always loved reading about his advice to writers either you're going to pour your whole self into it or don't do it. So he's that's what he was he, said. Yeah, I'd absolutely. Say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and he says it's going to be just a horrible, broke life. And, you know, hopefully it oh, makes a career. money. as a career. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, I just, you know, but I, you know, anyway, uh, but, but again, very fortunate that, you know, my dad would buy me all of McGuane's and, and particularly Jim Harrison's books. And I've, I've read them all, you know, many, many times. And, um, and but he was just, you know, not only just a phenomenal storyteller, but just the way he wrote, uh, his word choices, everything was just on such a, another level. And you know, obviously, you know, I'd be lying to say that. You know, I even fell more in love with fly fishing having read Jim Harrison. I grew up uh, in in Wisconsin and Michigan. Obviously, he's from uh, Jim Harrison's from Northern Michigan. So just it was a it was a connection to the place I was living at the time. Uh, but then as as I grew up, I just would always come back to Jim Harrison, and um, and uh, yeah, I just you know uh and also his love is his love for food you know i'm a i'm a total wannabe gourmet chef and you know just he was a prodigious uh drinker and eater and (laughs) hence the reason he had a wine shop but but exactly his you know but uh but regardless um just how he lived his life the things he wrote about uh the 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 stories he told i mean i just you know i i i come back to him every every month
0: so So i You 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 write as well. Uh, I had you, a good you, day. you had you you were in. Uh, you had an article, at least one, I think, in in this latest volume of uh, Modern Huntsman, Volume Six. Is there anything from? I mean, clearly you have a, a passion for some for understanding these amazing writers of the past, Jim mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Harrison included. Is there anything from the the readings of their their works, or your conversations mm-hmm. with them, or about them yeah. that you take forward into your own kind of process of writing? I know we kind of yeah we were geeking out around the table the other day because we were talking we're all writers and we were talking about the writing process and how it's very very different for for each person mm-hmm. and some of us struggle or feel like we struggle with it more yeah. than others and I'm always very sort of envious and jealous of people who seem to just be able to sit down and spew it. All that onto the page, but I think the reality of a lot of writing is it's probably not as easy, even for good writers, as people may think.
1: Nope, nope. I, you know, it was was really good to hear Tom McGuane talking about the writing process, where he said, you know, everyone thinks that. You know, and obviously, you get better at starting, as as Tom McWayne said, is when you the more you write, but it's still just as hard all the time. You know, I still get that anxiety when I see that blinking cursor, particularly if I know someone's eventually going to read this thing. (laughs) You know, um, I think I was, I was, I was, you know, I'm a copywriter by background in marketing. So that was, that was just how I made my money, was writing, you know, Everything from Super Bowl commercials mm-hmm. to print ads to radio spots. Back in the day when back when when they had those, mm-hmm. but uh, that's you
0: know. a very that's a very different but process. It, to and, like, and there's a way you write it. It's yeah. very
1: truncated. In fact, you even script grammar. You know, and and but but you know, for me, um, I'd say the one thing I love about Jim Harrison. a Couple things. One is he he I think more than a lot of writers, he was always writing from insights. So he wasn't necessarily observing things and using really interesting turns of phrases to to explain what he's observing, but he'd really write on insights. And what I mean by insight is it's, you know, it's almost like stand-up comedy. You know, what what makes stand-up comedy so great and is that it's really, it, it's, it's calling out something that you've kind of been thinking, but they actually said it in a way that you're like, aha, you connect the dots in your own mind. But as a result of hearing it, You'll never look at that thing the same way again, and in Jim Harrison, it was just such a, a an insightful writer because he'd get down to the why certain things were happening more so than that you know uh, a, a lot of writers. But but that's one thing that I always try to bring into my writing is really start with just a really strong insight and not a general observation, but a true insight behind something. So uh, so that's one thing. But the other thing I really liked about Jim Harrison's writing, and I, you know, at least when I do like outdoor writing per se for my husband, but. Jim Harrison, while he certainly has been compared to, to Hemingway, and 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 he's sometimes said he's drawn inspiration from him or not, but Jim Harrison kind of had the opposite of Hemingway, where you know there's a lot of the hyperbolic kind of macho thing where you had to prove yourself against nature. Jim Harrison are always right from the fact that if you try to go against nature, you're always going to lose. You know that you know a lot of that's his, where all those stories uh, end. A lot it? of his protagonists end up dying, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to you know um, you know coming away where I felt like I've proven who I was as a result of this you know experience with nature, but um but yeah he he always had this very honest way of writing and he didn't try to really he, he wasn't hyperbolic at all he was he was very um very real but very human and he had this kind of self-deprecating kind of things you know but particularly when he had this kind of comedic sort of spell um through his his brown dog series which you know he was really funny and it was really weird to read comedic writing from from Jim Harrison but you know he, he always just had the sense that he was never better than anybody. He was never better, you know, at, at these things. He was always kind of like, I'm kind of... Even though he was. <laughs> even though he was, right? But, yeah. you know, he was always, you know, kind of writing from the perspective of like, you know, I'm kind of like, you know... You know, he'd talk about how he'd get hurt or how he'd screw things up, and you know, he was the one who'd start writing about you know missing fish, which was just unheard of. You never used to write about that, right? But um, <laughs> and
0: everybody misses it, fish, yeah, right? No, um, yeah. oh, I catch every time I go out, but but uh, but no, I, just <laughs> the, the biggest you know, fish I've ever not caught are the ones. But, I've But missed. his
1: poetry, yeah. and this might sound really precious, and, and 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 I'm a moron, but but his poetry is incredible. I was never a big I've never po- read any Never of big it. poetry fan fan, 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 but his poetry is is, is amazing. i have to look it, up. It's just, it It's just, but it's just. It is incredible, and I mean, I, I I will never be a Jim Harrison, but you know, he's definitely someone to aspire to to write as well as at some point. But but no, I mean, honestly, from a writing standpoint, it, it's it's as hard as me as it was since day one. And I you know the self loathing, the
0: anxiety, and the you know the, the I th- love the blinking cursor analogy. Oh, though. it's, it's like, terrifying. I, I, well, that's I can, why it's better just to put something down. Yeah, I always find like even if it's just the title. Yep. Sometimes the, I, I I'll sit there looking and I'll just go and put. Um, you know, publication, modern huntsman, author <laughs> Byron Pace. Yeah, no uh, it, pic- pictures or images, Byron Pace, and then that's sometimes enough to like soften the blow <laughs> of starting. I, I agree, and and that's the thing. Is you just have to start starting, mm. and
1: you know, just, just some advice I've given you know writers that have worked for me in the past. You know, um, you know, uh, on, in the creative industry is you know, yeah, just start starting, and I would say write it dumb first. Mm-hmm. Just get it all out of your head. Just Don't spew it just out. spew it out. Stream of consciousness, uh, you know. And then you go back. You know, clarity before poetry. Uh, then you can always gild the lily. You can always go back and yeah, really color I, things I up. But and that, at least for me, that really works because I used to get so hung up on how can I write this? Is really compelling. You know, yeah. uh, you know, even less than the perfection. Just how do I write this really clever, really unexpected way of, about this? And it just got in the way of getting it done. And so I do that now where I'll just literally write. I don't even spell check. I don't, you know, almost like Cormac McCarthy. I won't even put any punctuation in. And um, I just I just get it all out. And then you can truncate it. Then you kind of go through and you take the copy shears out and trim and whatnot. Um, but I, I, the best advice I got was from one of my best best writing mentors in the advertising world. He said, he, I, I would go in and he would say, okay, this is great. I want to see more white on the page. Shrink this. Just... Cut it in half, and you and I would sit there and go, "I can't cut this in half." And you'd say, "Cut it in half," and it was really forcing you to to distill it down to its most potent, simplistic form. And that, that for some reason, because I, I have to put kind of mental pictures to how I improve my writing. So, and and maybe it's weird, but um, but that was really good advice for me, where you, you realize that the audience and the reader, in particular, is def- probably more probably smarter than you are. They can make that inductive leap in the heads of why you're conveying things. So just, just write enough. And the other thing too that I really this is Tom McGuane's uh, advice, which which I I've written down to like a hundred places. But he always said you want to make sure that you don't see the writer in the story. Make sure that it's the story. And that for that for me was a, that was like a click for me, because I'd always you know I do think you need your own voice. I definitely think you need you know your own points of view. But you. Like Salman Rushdie's is a, a writer that you know. Sometimes you, you feel like you're holding the book upside down because he's 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 so uh, it's like he's bragging when he's writing because of how smart he is, and 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 his he gets in the way of the story in a lot of ways. Even though he's a phenomenal writer, obviously, but. Um, but, um, in Umbra echoes another writer like that, where you, you, you almost have to have your, your, your phone or encyclopedia next to you just, just to understand what the hell he's referencing. Cause he would really showboat with these really esoteric, you know, archeological references to things and past cultures and whatnot. But, but, you know, I just really aspire to writers that it, they, they, they just tell a great story. And that's why, that's why I love Hemingway. I, lo- I love Hemingway style writing where it's just really simple. It, you know, you strip out adverbs, you strip out metaphors, you strip out all that, just tell the story because the audience is going to understand what you're saying. And they're going to bring their own experiences to it. They're going to bring their own sort of color to it in their own mind's eye. So just just start with the, a really great idea for a story, get that down, and then um, and just make sure that, there's nothing but the story in yeah. there. And so, that, anyway, that's just me, but no, that, that's w- really helped you. me get to the point faster because yeah. I talk a lot um, and I can ramble, but um, and I, and my emails are always 50 pages long. <laughs> the people that work for me are like, oh God, I got to sit here for six hours. and <laughs> Read through know, all this. TLDR, I used to get a lot of responses, but...
0: I get it, though. I know exactly what you're saying because I find myself doing that, whether I'm writing something like academically or whether I'm writing something that's story-based, I find that... So that, to rationalize what I'm trying to say in my own mind, sometimes I have to go and ri- write a couple of paragraphs mm-hmm. or I have to write a whole page. Mm-hmm. And then when I come, so it's now twice as long as it needs yeah. to be. And I know that I've gone over my word limit, mm-hmm. but I, I, I try not to think too much about the word limit when I'm, when I've, once I've worked out what the concept of, is of what I'm going to yeah. write about been the word limit within reason. You know, you right. don't want to write 20,000 words when it's 1,500 words of always, how the hell are you ever going to cut that back? But I just go for it because yeah. I'm looking for all, all the things that I feel like are important. Mm-hmm. Then set it aside. If I have the time, come back to it a week later. Yeah, uh, Things are settled in your mind and you go through and you realize, okay, I know that uh, now i understand what i was trying to say to myself explain to myself in a way what these couple of paragraphs are saying i can do yeah. it in two sentences yeah and you end up with a better story and you're forced to do that with academic stuff all the time because you're writing to answer whatever the question is and they're you know to the to yeah. the word yep. for submitting it yep. and then you're really forced like how am i going to take this out and you realize when you start reading through sentences like I just use three sentences to say something I could have said in one. Yeah. And it's a really good exercise, actually. It, it is. It's forced me to do it recently. Reason- and sometimes, I mean, that's a little different because sometimes it can s- restrict some of the creative flair. So it's a little bit different when you're talking about mm-hmm. submitting a paper. But uh, it's a really good exercise to go through your personal writing to say, how can I simplify this? hmm because there's no, why use a whole bunch of words that you don't need to use? Absolutely, like, like you're saying, just to make you sound feel, sound and feel smart. Yeah, and 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 I mean, I, I get guilty of that sometimes,
1: yeah. or I am guilty. I should um, say me of that too. sometimes. Yeah. But but you know, to, to, two last piece of advice I think for for writing, which really helped me as well, is uh, and and this is an, another Tom McGuane, uh, uh comment. But he you know he said that you know a lot of times he'll he'll always have his laptop open. He might have an, a name of a character. And he'll go in, and he just writes down the name, and he might walk away for a day or two. Then he might have a, a, a just a, a sentence, you know, and just so just keep picking away at it, and eventually you'll get there. Um, the other, I would say, I would say is the best book because I'm sure there, there's some other I haven't seen, but the best book I've read on writing is Stephen King's book on writing. It's so good, and it's and I would say if you can listen to the audiobook as he reads it, and it is. Probably the most influential book on me, and it, like you listen to it, and I start getting really embarrassed as I was listening to because I'm like, as I was, ma- I'm making all these mistakes. Right? Oh, so he's identifying he's, the mistakes yeah, writers make. He talks about taking away out adverbs. He talks about how you just sort of structure a story. Um, I also would say to, to people, really take take a good screenwriting class. Uh, this is a great book by Robert McKee called Story, uh, which is kind of the considered the Bible of, of screenwriting. Screenwriting, while well, it's much different, but it really forces you to really get into character motivation. Uh, it really gets you into thinking about what it, what do all the you know characters want? How do they all combine? And then the, uh, now I'm actually adding here. Um, another one is um, John August, who's a famous screenwriter. wrote Big Fish, one of the best screenplays I think ever written. Uh, he's got this deck of cards called the Writer's Emergency Pack, and it's such a great tool. I use it. Uh, I use it for everything from hard conversations to writing. But it's a it's it's a deck of cards that you flip through. Where it'll it, you know you'll write let's say a scene in a screenplay or you'll write a chapter uh, you know for for you know all the all the novels I've started and never finished but it, it, then one of the cards will say something like okay now take this story back two hundred years and change uh, your your male protagonist to a female it just really helps you shift it up a little bit shake it up a little bit. Uh, where you can get in, into deeper, more interesting stuff, more unexpected stuff. But it's that's that that should be on every desk of every writer. The John August I'll Writers Emergency it. Pack. It's phenomenal. He's also up. got a great podcast oh. on writing, particularly for screenwriting, but it's great for any anybody who wants to write. And I would say even if you're a filmmaker or photographer, it's good to, to listen to as well because it's really podcast about creativity and storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, but th- those are just some tools that help. And um, but again, I think just the best advice is just start starting, get something out on paper. You can come back to it and delete it all again. Um, uh, you know, Apple Notes is really big for me. Where there there'll be times I'm just sitting there and I have this idea for a scene just yeah, write it down. Do it. And um, mm-hmm. but you know, as cliche as it sounds, if you're a writer, write every day. Uh, yeah, that's know, probably good advice. Write. And
0: I do not do that enough. I mean, yeah. I read every day. Yep, which is also important. It's very important, very important yep. to read yep. and to vary your reading. Try and read outside the genre that yeah. you write in is yep. very important. And I don't, I find I don't have enough time to do it. Yeah, but it's really important. Maybe just lastly then, so. Uh, talking about people or looking to people who have aspirations of writing within the outdoor space, sure. or maybe sp- more specifically, like we've been talking today, the hunting and fishing space, mm-hmm. me as a kid, I always wanted to be published in a fishing magazine, and I've still never done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants... Uh, well, I would say... It was all I, can, I wanted to do when I was like If 18. I was able
1: to do it, anybody can do it. I'll say that. <laughs> you know, um, I. it's like anything... Uh, you, you have to want it irrationally yeah. where it, it's, you will find a way it's, it's like, you know, if you want it bad enough, when I, when I've broken bones in the woods and there's nobody around, I'm in extreme pain, you just figure a way to get out of there, you know? Um, and I broken many bones in the outdoors, uh, uh, but, uh, falling off cliffs, you name it, you know, of, of, you know, uh, Murphy's law outside, but, um, but you, you have to want it more than anything and you have to be willing to sacrifice for it uh, and luck is always a big, big part of it. But if you put yourself out there, and that's why I, I would say too, just, just put yourself out there, the real you and the wrong people will leave and the right people will come. I really, truly believe that. And I don't want to get really woo-woo here with that, but, but I really, when I started just really putting myself out there and I'd have people, you know, the peanut gallery either flaming me for some things or, but it was surprising enough, people really do root for you more than they root against you. And uh, the other thing too, is, uh, it's even how I got in the ad industry, which is you know is very hard to break into, particularly on the creative side, because it's a it's a hell of a way to make money, um, and and be a be an adult child for the rest of your life. Uh, but there, it's amazing what happens when you just reach out to somebody. And you know, there's a at the time at least in advertising, and I think it's analogous to the hunting industry. But um, nine out of ten times, people will help you. They might not get back to you right away, but it's it's amazing the power of the telephone. And don't stalk them and find out their cell phone number. Don't you know? But but if you do reach out to somebody, nine out of ten times they actually will take a, a few minutes to spend time and, and help you. And so that's why I say, raise your hand and you have to tell people what you want. It's, it's what my grandmother used to always tell me. You have to tell people what you want and you'll probably get it at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but so, Someone wants them to be be careful what you wish for. There's that too. Yeah. Oh because yeah. Because sometimes you'll get what you wish for. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with that.
1: One, I'm probably living proof of that in some, some corners of my life, but, <laughs> but you know, I, I do, I do really believe though that uh, you know, and again, maybe I'm, I'm parroting Jim Harrison here, but you have to want it and pour yourself into it, and and just dive in with both feet, and just l- talk to everybody you can, network as much as you can, um, you know, really identify the people whose writing you really like, and reach out and just tell them that, and you know, uh, you know, I've I've had you know. I've had people send me stuff. I always love reading. I'm always very flattered by it when people reach out and say, "Hey, you know, could you read some stuff that I'm putting together?" But, but that's what I say. You know, there's there's like this old viral video that was out, and it, you know, it might be a little little silly, but I didn't. I thought it was the most accurate thing about anything you want to pursue in your life. But there's a story about you know the the football coach took the young football player out, uh, and he made him wade out deeper and deeper and deeper, and made him sit out in the ocean, kind of bobbing until eventually, like he's he's starting to bob under the water, and he says he says you have to want to play football more than you need air. And I really do believe that. You have to want it so irrationally and with every fiber of your being and I really do believe in I you know there's all these books about the law of attraction but there's there's some truth to that where you know I think you just create this this it rearranges your atoms when you finally have made that decision and you it, the, the universe does for the most part conspire in your favor. I do believe that as well. And I and for me I've always wanted to, you know, swan die back into the outdoor business full time and I just made the decision to do it. It's I've taken, you know, a pay cut to do it. Um, it's it's come with some sacrifices. It's, yeah, it's come risk at the involved. loss of friends uh, in some some corners of my life, but um, but it's the happiest I've ever been and it's the most fulfilling I've ever been even even during a dry spell like I you, you just don't give up and yeah. it's hard not to and, and believe me it's hard for everybody but i poured myself in into just this and just wanted to, to do this and surround myself with people who do this and mm-hmm. uh and i feel very very lucky as a result but
0: yeah being being present in the place that you want to be Mhm. and things, Absolutely. things will come. So yeah. it's been a very insightful conversation. <laughs> we've we've we we've, we've uh we've spanned the gamut in terms I guess of we have. topics,
1: yeah, that's a weird conversation with Bill Roden going all over the place. That's yeah, quite, yeah. Uh, right. I,
0: I would never have guessed that from conversations with you before. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely, thank um, you for having me. It's it's great to sit down and like just let our minds go.
1: Yeah, it's it's good to not have to focus on the task at hand and just talk.
0: It's, I love it, boy. I'm done. I love it. I think you get the best conversations that way. I agree. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to. We're gonna have to. What we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to. Revisit this again in, in a year's time. and now completely and, and contradict everything I say. Maybe. And, but yeah. next time what we should do is we should have maybe a Modern Huntsman big joint like team podcast. I would love that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Like all the, the, the different editors around the room, get Tyler, we'll all get headsets on and we can talk about what the last, well, I mean, what the journey's been. I think that would be amazing. I think
1: that would be great. I'd even love just to read some of the submissions we get. Like, yeah. Because that's one thing I love about Modern Huntsman is that we're a big part of what we're about is really giving a platform for new voices yeah because that's another thing even with the industry is there seems to be like 20 voices that are just dominating the conversation Uh, i'm i'm in the industry and even i feel like sometimes it's difficult to
0: break oh yeah yeah. breakthrough to some aspects it is yeah
1: so we'll, we'll 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 read so send your submissions in we'll read them
0: yeah great bill thank you so much we'll speak to you again soon all right thanks